Amen. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Glad to be here. Listen, before we even get into this thing, I fully understand that it is roasting in here. Okay? All you people are like, don't they know how to listen? Okay? Your pastor loves to save money, and so I, we've got it on a timer, and it's a schedule, and so I try to get the, 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 the sanctuary down to 65 uh, to start service on uh, Sundays, and then it warms up. Something happened, and we started first service at 71, and all the, and all the people that got a little bit extra are like, ugh. But here's the good news. There are Christians all over the planet today that walked miles in the heat to sit in some tin-sided building that are going to be in service three times longer than you are. They're doing just fine. Okay? I give you a you-will-live guarantee. I told Crystal, though, if I, if I pass out, sprinkle some water on me. But don't think like, why does the pastor, I don't, if it was up to me, it'd be 55 in here, okay? Yes. <laughs> so, so there's second faith and victory in Auburn. What was the split over exactly? <laughs> the 55s and the 75s. Oh. <laughs> Kevin's like, I'll lead the 75 church. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you laughed because that part's over. <laughs> let's get into <laughs> I think we should probably pray over this message. Let's, let's bring it down to some level of holiness, all right? Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us to challenge us, and to convict us. God, I pray for everybody in this room, myself included. God, if there's anything in this word that needs to cut deep, that it would cut deep. We would feel it. We would know it. And we would be called to change in your name. Amen. Amen. For Samuel 26. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah? Opposite Jeshimon. Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph. Having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army, now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Amalek the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there lay Saul, excuse me, and there Saul lay, sleeping within the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? 
David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please, take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. And no man saw it or knew it or awoke. For they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now David went over to the other side and stood on top of a hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord and the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord, the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is in the jug of water that was by his head. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what I have done or what evil is in my hand, now therefore please let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. And Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here's the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. And Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. So I always like to recap the story. Saul is the king of Israel. He's pursuing David. And so they're going, and they're there, and Saul's pursuing. And then uh, David's there and realizes that Saul's asleep down in the camp. And so he's like, hey, man, we're fixing to go down there. And so he says to all of his guys, like, hey, who will go down with me? This guy Abishai goes, I'll go. So they go down there, and then they find Saul. And mind you, if you're, re- if you're listening, there's 3,000 men in there, and they were all asleep. So they go down, and they find Saul asleep and his, and his uh, guard, Abner, right next to him. And so Abishai's like, dude, here's our chance. Let's kill him. And, and David's like, hold on, bro. We ain't killing the king. Like, no, we're not doing that because he's God's anointed. And if God's going to kill him, God's going to kill him. But we're not going to kill him. And so Abishai's like, all right, let's do that. Well, let's take a spear in his jug, though. Okay? Like, all right. So we've got a spear in his jug. So then the next morning they wake up and they're standing on the other side of the, uh, of the valley and they call out to Abner and they're like, hey bro, we got the jug, we got the spear, we could have killed your man, but we didn't. Abner's like, dang it. And then it cuts into Saul's heart and Saul's heart is like, dang it. They could have killed me and they didn't do it. So what does Saul do? Saul repents, man. Saul goes, man, I was wrong. This guy David's a better man than me. I would have killed myself if I had the chance. What are we talking about this morning? 
talking about, are you down? And down is kind of the, I don't think kids say anymore, are you down? You know, it's funny, like the, the older you get, the more you realize you are not even remotely connected to what the kids are saying. Kids don't say that anymore. But the point is, are you committed? Are you committed? God wants you to be deeply committed to him and to his church. He wants you to be committed. The first thing we're going to talk about this morning is that the committed steps up. Verse 6, Then David went to Amalek the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zerah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul. I'll go with you, said Abishai. I will go with you. In this story, this guy Abishai actually has no idea what he's fixing to get into. His leader says, I'm going down. Who will go with me? Abishai stands up and goes, I'll go. I don't know what we're doing, but if you're asking for help, then I'm, I'm going. I'm down. I'm, I'm going wherever you're going. Why? Because, David, I trust you. I believe in you. You're my, you're my leader. I've, I've seen you. I've seen how you lived. I, I know that you're leading me into good things and not into bad things. And, and if you're going and if you need help, you can count on me. I will go with you. I love his heart in this moment. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't say, well, you know, David, I have been really busy. And um, I got this thing going on later on this afternoon. And uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to fit within my schedule. So can you give me all of the parameters of what we're really going to do? Because... The kids got practice, and um, I got to mow my lawn. I got some other stuff that's a little more pressing than whatever it is you're asking me to do. Um, what's what's going what, like, to, what, what are you really asking of me? No, he doesn't do that. There's a sermon in there somewhere. I don't know if you guys are mopping up what I'm spilling. <laughs> no, he said, I'll go with you. I don't care what it is. You need help, I'm here. You, you need some sort of assistance, I'm your guy. You can count on me. One of the hardest things that you will do in your life is to step up and make a commitment to something. The truth is people used to be committed. Like like this used to be part of the American ethos. I don't know where it went, but it left. People used to be committed to an employer. They're not. They find a new job. People used to be committed to their marriages. No, I'll just find another one. They'd be committed to their friends. No, it's good, whatever. They used to be committed to their, to their neighborhoods and their cities and their, their, their country. Like people were committed used to be committed to their churches. And now they're like, you know what, man? I, I, need an, I need something else. Like, this isn't working for me. People used to not want somebody else to do the work. They had a sense of pride and ownership and involvement. But now people nowadays are completely comfortable with watching somebody else do all the work. It used to be we, we, we had a sense of shame or guilt of like everybody else is getting their hands dirty and I'm just sitting back and watching. But now the, the mass of people that aren't doing anything love to watch the, the few and be like, man, that's awesome to watch them work. I'm sure glad I don't have to do that. This should not be the case for the church. Not at all. A Christ follower steps up when the Lord asks them to do so. The Lord has need of it. Lord, I will step up, but it doesn't happen. People turn a deaf ear. People stand up here in front of the church. They go to the membership class. They stand up here like, oh, I want to be a member. And then it's like, whatever happened to brother so-and-so? Church says, hey, man, we need help with this. And they're like, man, I sure hope someone steps up for that. Pray. Maybe God will 
Set him up. Why, why, why do people enjoy challenging sermons they have no intention to respond to? Why do they love that? See, what's funny about church is church is one of the few places where this is actually tolerated. Go, go, go be a part of any other club and don't show up and see how they treat you. Join a sports team and don't show up to practice and then try to play in the game. Go down to the bar, get you some drinks and don't pay for them and see how they treat you. We only tolerate this in church under the guise of we just want to be nice and loving. We're just taking time to let the Lord grow them. It's been 10 years, but just praying one day they'll get it. Because we want to be nice. Just want to be nice. Now, I'll tell you guys a little bit about myself. Uh, and if this offends you, it's okay. I probably offended you long before now. Um, I'm a gun guy. Like, I like guns. Why do I like guns? Because they're dumb. Like, I don't understand it. Why do you like what you like? You just, I don't know what it is that you like, okay? I grew up around them. I was in the military. It's just something satisfactory about watching a paper target not scream back. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. <laughs> and so I... I, I, uh, a few years ago, I joined a gun club. Why? Because I am a gun guy. So I'm Crystal's like, what do you want for your birthday? I'm like, yeah, I want to join this club. So I joined the Black Diamond Gun Club. And do they, like, you got to go up there and you got to stand there. And why do you want to join our club? I'm like, I was in the military and uh, guns. And, and so they're like, well, if you're going to be a part of this club, you got to contribute. You got to pay your dues. And we have work parties because this is a member club. This isn't like you're not paying a, a fee. You're going to be a member here. And we expect you to show up. We expect you to do work here. And if you don't do work, we kick you out. You don't pay your dues, we kick you out. I was like, dude, I'm committed. I'm doing this thing. So it's been about three years. I've never showed up again. <laughs> I, uh, I literally, I don't think I've even gone shooting in probably like two years. Uh, what's funny is that like... But, but, I, but I don't go around and tell people in the community, like, I'm part of the Black Diamond Gun Club. Because I'm not. They sent me a letter in the mail. It's like, apparently you don't want to be one of us, so we're canceling your membership because you haven't paid your dues, you haven't showed up, and you're not one of us. Because they don't tolerate that. Is there a sermon in there somewhere? Maybe you guys will get it later. See, Abishai was down. He was like, whatever it is, I'm good with it. You're my king, I'm in. And again, can you believe now more than ever, we need the church body more than we've ever needed it before. There's nothing more important than the body of Christ. This isn't a consumer transaction where you come in and you're like, oh, I like the music and I like that guy that talks, but I don't want to be committed. This is the bride of Christ. There's no institution that's going to outlive the church. Not a team, not a parachurch organization, not a club, not a job. Nothing is going to outlive eternity except the church. We need each other now more than ever. We need each other. We need to be together. Some people don't see it that way, but it truly is. There is nothing more important. And it requires work. It just does. And people say, well, you know, Jesus died for my sins. And some guy told me that there's nothing I have to do to earn my salvation. And that he did it all on the cross. He did do it all at the cross. But he ain't showing up Saturday to clean the church. He did it all on the cross, but he's not down in the children's ministry. 
It's not a greeter or an usher or parking lot guy or a preacher or someone that makes phone calls to check on people. Yeah. Why is it so quiet in here? <laughs> I haven't even got to the hard part. Y'all better amen. You, you know what? You guys don't understand. Did you know that you can amen something that's convicting? Yeah. People are like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> if I say amen, I'm wrong. <laughs> There's two types. There's an amen. And that's like, you need to change, right? And then there's the amen. <laughs> amen. That's good. Will you be an Abishai? Will you step up? Will you commit to it? Are you down? It shouldn't matter what the word of God says or what a pastor says. Remember the church asks you to do. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that, that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, here's the second part of it is that the committed takes correction. The committed takes correction. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Don't destroy him. See, Abishai was down like, hey man, I will go with you. I'm ready for whatever it is that you're asking me to do. That was his conviction. But when they got down to do what they were going to do, Abishai had his own ideas of what they thought they should do. He was committed, but he wasn't submitted. He wanted his own plans. He's like, well, I'll go with you. And then as they went and they got down, Abishai was like, well, I'm here, but let's kill him. Let's do this. And David's like, no, you're not doing that. And and you know what Abishai said? He said, who do you think you are, David? I committed to come and help you. Now you're telling me what to do? You should just be pleased that I volunteered. And then you want to tell me how to do my volunteer duty? We killing this guy. No, no, no. Abishai takes his correction. He doesn't push back against the man that he agreed to go down with. David tells him what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, and that's enough. He just says, okay, David, I'm following you. The first step was I'm following you. The second step was I thought I knew what we were doing. Abundantly clear, I don't know what we're doing. You know what we're doing? I'm doing what you're telling me to do. If only it was this easy in the ministry. It's not, man. And I get it. Like, it's, it's hard to come into a church and, and you've been living a certain way and then you got this bald-headed screamer telling you, like, rah! And you're just like, who do you think he is? Like, so I, I go to the gym, right? And I, I've, I've, been, I've been going to the gym for a lot of years. I mean, I've been working out since, I don't know, probably I think uh, eighth grade. And I've done all types of workouts, heavy, light, cardio, like all these different types of things. And for some reason, like me and Crystal uh, uh, go to the gym up in Covington, and there's this personal trainer that will not leave me alone. Like I, this week I was there and I was doing uh, leg extensions, leg, they're not, leg presses. See, I know what I'm doing. And so I'm doing leg presses and out of the corner of my eye, like see this guy like standing there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's him. And so I'm like, just, I'm going to keep doing these things. So I kind of look out of the corner of my eye and he's like, hey man, what are you doing? Bro, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm doing leg presses. I didn't say that, but that's what I thought in my heart, right? 
He's asking these leading questions, and I know exactly what he's saying without even saying it. He says, what are you doing? I'm like leg presses. Next question. What are you trying to accomplish? Because it's abundantly clear that whatever I'm trying to accomplish is not happening. Is that what you're saying? I told him the truth. I said, listen, man, I got one goal. If I'm at the beach, I'm going to take my shirt off and not be the fattest guy. That's it. When you get in your 40s, you set your bar a little bit lower. You know what I mean? I don't want to take off my shirt and have like, come on, bro, really? Like, that's my goal. That's all I want. And so he, he begins to just pick at every last part of my workout. Oh, are you doing this? And why are you doing that? And everything else. And, and then he goes into my diet. He's like, what are you eating? And I'm like, protein and ice cream. That's mostly what I eat. <laughs> like, why? I'm like, because protein and ice cream, bro. Like, those are the, the teens. You want to say, protein, ice cream. And what I realized in that moment is there was so much cognitive dissonance inside of me. Like, I had such a self-righteous attitude inside of me. Like, I was like, who do you think you are, man? I pay dues here. Why are you talking to me? You're the employee. I pay the dues here. And I've been doing this for 30 years. I do not need your fit little self telling me... How to do it? Because I only come in here for 30 minutes to do everything wrong to tell myself I'm doing something. <laughs> no intentions to actually improve. I just got to do anything to keep my wife off my back telling me to exercise. <laughs> it's the best thing when I can go to the gym without her because I can just walk around and talk to everybody. You know what I mean? Great. And in that moment, All I wanted to do was get away from him. Literally. I was like, quit talking. I want to leave. I was like, workout over, gone. Sermon in here somewhere. So then he says, what are you doing Monday? I don't know. He's like, you should come in in Monday, man. I'll show you some new stuff. It'll be awesome. I'm like, no, dude, I don't want to learn new stuff. I want to keep failing on my own without your help. I'm like, what time? He said, I'll I'll set you aside. This guy's the lead trainer. And his desk is right by the door. Every time I walk in, hey, man, what are you working on today? (laughs) So I got an appointment with him tomorrow at 10 o'clock. I said to him, can I bring my wife, please? (laughs) Are you guys picking up what I'm dropping? There's a spiritual application there somewhere. See, so many people are so headstrong, they can't even allow anyone to tell them nothing about nothing. In the land of Google, everyone's an expert. And then you come into the church, and you look at me, and you're like, what, right, does this guy have to tell me anything? Listen, I don't mean to be rude, but I've been, I've been a Christian for almost 30 years. I, 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 my whole entire life is wrapped up with helping you grow spiritually, man. I've seen failure. I've seen success. There's principles that you can apply to your life that just work. And, 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 and that, that guy, I'm like, what do you want from me, bro? And I said to him, what is this going to cost me? He goes, it's going to cost you 45 minutes of your life. All I'm trying to do is help you grow. I mean, my marriage seems to be doing okay after 21 years. Kids are pretty obedient. Like our finance is pretty good. We love Jesus. We've, oh, there's a couple people coming to this church after 16 years. I mean, so I don't know what we're doing. 
I'm trying to destroy you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you grow spiritually. How, 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 why are people so unwilling to accept correction? Because none of us are able to fully control ourselves. We need others to help us maintain our integrity. And if you look back on, the, on your lapses of integrity, usually it's when you have distanced yourself from people who would call you out. Amen. This happens all the time in the church. That people separate from the church people and they start hanging around with like-minded people that are going to tell them exactly what they want to hear because they don't want to be around the people that are going to tell them stuff they don't want to hear. No one at the buffet is asking about my workout plan. It's just agreed. Like, we're there. I ain't saying nothing about what you're putting on your plate. You ain't saying nothing about what I'm putting on my plate. The Bible says in Proverbs 18.1, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. In this scenario, Abishai was being protected from something that was going to hurt him. If Abishai would have killed God's anointed, God would have killed Abishai. And David says, bro, I wouldn't do that if I were you. That's not what we're doing. We're not killing God's anointed. And Abishai says, okay, I know that you're protecting me, David. Abishai trusted David. He didn't push back. He just stopped doing it. Don't, do, you, do you guys use your GPSs in your car? Yeah. yeah. Do you fight Google and be like, I ain't going that way. Yes. I'm getting on 167 North. I'm going 167 south at 4 p.m. I don't know what GPS is telling me. (laughs) No. I don't care where that route is going. You're like, we are trusting Google. (laughs) Come to church. I preach it in the Word of God. You hit the parking lot. I'm like, I don't know who that guy thinks he is. What does he think he is? Tell me this. Tell him. He didn't tell me. Things you should allow to correct you. Number one, the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Number two, your brother in the Lord or sister, Luke 17.3. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. You say, like, quit, like, quit using, like, no one can judge me but God. That's, yeah, come on, man. I'm not judging you. I'm helping you. I'm trying to lead you into paths of righteousness. Your brother, do you know how hard it is to actually come up and, and, and lovingly tell someone there's something that they need to adjust in their life? It takes a lot of courage. And I'm not talking about the people that just, like, go around correcting everybody. I'm talking about someone that loves you, that has a relationship with you, that comes up to you and says, hey, man, there's this thing that I, I, I've seen in you and I think you need to adjust. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage. And if they're approaching you, it's because they love you. It's because they're trying to help you. Yeah. Number three, your pastor's. Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. You are not going to be held accountable for the health of this church, but I will. You, you're not going to answer to the Lord Jesus, but I will. I've got to stand before God one day and hand this church to him and say, Lord, I've prepared your bride for you. And he's going to look at me and say, why did you allow that in my church? Why, why were you a man pleaser instead of a, a, a God pleaser? Did you not love me enough? Did I not make it clear enough in my word? I, not on my watch, man. I'm not going to have that happen. Do this so that their work will, not, will be a joy, not a burden 
For that would be of no benefit to you. And most importantly, you've got to let God correct you. Hebrews 12, 6, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. If you are wrong, you are wrong. That's it. Like, don't, don't try to, like, just admit, like, dude, I'm wrong. <laughs> you caught me. I'm, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I'm, I'm just wrong. You know, a, a few years ago, oh, man. I feel like all my stories have to do with me failing and eating. Like, <laughs> so we, we go to uh, this restaurant. Uh, I won't tell you which one it was, but it was a bird and it wasn't blue. And so uh, we... <laughs> We go, we go there, and you know, when you go there, they've got unlimited fries, right? No one goes there for the food. They go there for the fries, right? You, you eat the burger, and then you eat your body weight in fries. And so we're there, and, and uh, if you guys don't get anything from this story, and I just embarrass myself for no reason, it will be for nothing. So we're there, and it's me and Crystal and Gabe. And so he got fries and I had eaten all of my fries. And because I'm a selfish, self-serving man, when I ran out of my fries and my son was sitting there and he had fries, this man, I made you. I'm asking you for none of your fries. I'm taking some of your fries. You know what I'm saying? I'm paying for this meal. You're on this earth because of me. You have fries. I don't have fries. I'm taking the fries. So then I, 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 take, I take some of his fries and he, and he looks at me and, and <laughs> you know what's funny is that there's, there's an age where it goes from being cub to like man child. <laughs> he was probably around like 15 or 16 so he grabs my hand and the fries at the same time. <laughs> and so... The, you know like when you have those moments where like this is the day right like someone's gonna win and it's gonna be me so I have the fries his tiny little hand comes over the fries and he begins to pull the fries back and I'm like Oh, it's odd. So I begin to squeeze these fries. And they're coming through my fingers. And he's grabbing it like, give me my fries. Crystal's like, will you guys stop? I'm like, let go of the fries. He's like, they're my fries. So I did what any loving Christian pastor, man, leader would do. I grabbed a knife. And I begin to go like this on top of his head. It's like, let go the fries with a knife and it wasn't the butter knife it was the steak knife <laughs> it made sense at the time <laughs> I mean I know the fries are unlimited but it was a moment The blood started to come out of his hand. It, it was a surface wound, okay? It was barely bleeding. Alright? And, and so we... I don't remember anything else about the meal, okay? 
I remember we finished eating, we left, we got in the car. And my son says to me, Dad, you made me bleed. <laughs> and, and, and my flesh is like, that's because you took the fries that were rightfully mine. I bought them, I made you, they're my fries. And he looked at me, he goes, Dad, why were you striking me with a knife? Because <sighs> I'm a broken, sinful man that in the smallest things in life, I can't seem to win every time. My emotions got the best of me. My heart got the best of me. And I completely embarrassed myself, son. And I need you to forgive me because I, there was nothing in that story that was right. I was the attacker. I was the wrong guy. I was rude. I was inconsiderate. Every, everything about that story was totally and completely wrong, including my wife's scorn of looking at me like with the really eyes. I'll even let my kids correct me when I'm wrong. I'm not going to lose my relationship with my son over french fries. I'm going to let him correct me. Why? Because I love him that much. And when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It doesn't matter that you're my son. You can, if he was here, he'd be like, hey, man. <laughs> Thirdly, the committed does their job. An interesting part of this story is when David stands on the other side of the valley and calls out Abner, he literally calls out his manhood. He calls out his inability to do his job. He says, you had one job, Abner, one job. You're a man, aren't you? What you have done is not good. He mocks him and he says, you didn't even guard the king. You didn't protect him. It wasn't good. And now you fix him to die. And your men are going to die because you didn't do your job. Look, bro, I got his spear. I got his jug. You are a failure, Abner, because you didn't do your one job. Abner only had one job, to be committed. That's it. I mean, I, I wish life was so easy that we just had like one job. And, and, and Abner had one job. He had to protect the king. And, and he, all he had to do was stay awake. I mean, all the other men could have been sleeping. Abner could have sat there, saw David and his men approaching, and just called out and said, Guys, David is coming. Let's all get up. But he didn't. He fell asleep. He had one job. He just fell asleep. And so then the next morning, totally and completely emotionally destroyed because it's clear that he did not do his job. He fell asleep and didn't watch over the king. Are you an Abner or are you an Abishai? Are, are you an Abishai that says, I will go down with you no matter what it costs, no matter what we do, I'll allow myself to be corrected? Or are you an Abner that knows the job, know what you're supposed to do, but falls asleep and lets somebody come in and destroy your king? Are you committed? Are you an Abner? Are, are, are the failures of your life standing on the side of the valley going, are you a man or a woman? I don't want to be an Abner, man. I don't, I don't want the failures of my life to stand on the, on the, on, on the sides of, uh, of the hill and mock me and say, do you know what, man? You had one job and you couldn't even do it. Your life seriously should not be a tale of broken commitments over and over. 
And, and if that's been your life up to this point, just make repent of it and change and say, you know what, I'm going to be committed now. I'm committed to this marriage. I'm committed to this friendship. I'm committed to this church. I used to be a person that couldn't be counted on, but now I'm going to be a person that's going to be counted on. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, uh, be diligent to present, your, excuse me, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. One of the things that we don't talk about a lot in Christianity is that there will actually be a day of reckoning for the work that you did for the Lord. There really will. There, there's going to be jewels and there's going to be crowns. There's going to be an accountability where God's like, what did you do with what I handed you? I gifted you, I showed you, I told you, I placed you in my body, gave you opportunity, but you chose not to. Why? Why, why, why did you choose to, to shuck your duty and say, you know what, God, I, I don't want to do the job that you've asked me to do. And, and the job of a Christian is very easy. Be fully committed to Christ in everything. That's it. Like it's the easiest thing in the world to do. We just read the word and do what it says. If God says to do something, we just do it because he's our king. He's our leader. He's our guide. We don't have to understand it. We don't even have to, you don't have to agree with it. You just have to say, you know what, God, if, if you're mine, excuse me, if I'm yours and, and, and you're in charge, I'm just going to go and do that which you've asked me to do. Amen. You have to love God, obey his commandments. Amen. And the Bible says his commandments are not burdensome. If all the things that God asks you to do are a burden to you, you should question whether or not you're actually a Christian. Yeah. If everything that God requires of a Christian you find repulsive, you, it's heart check time. You have to be like, man, why is it that I, I, I don't like worshiping God? Why is it that I don't like listening to his word? Why is it that I, I refuse to serve my local church? This is your church, man. This isn't Walmart. This isn't a place where we prepare a table for you to eat every week. This is a place where we all come together and do the work necessary. My job is to be the pastor, to equip you for the work of the ministry. That's all I do is I equip you for the work of the ministry, and then we as a church move forward. There's nothing that's done here that's not done by somebody. There's not this magical group of gnomes that comes in and cleans. There's not a magical group of, uh, like, some of you that have kids, and you're like, I don't know who does it downstairs, but it sure is amazing that they do. Like, it's us. We, cl- like, we clean the church. We do landscaping. We do outreach. We take care of everything. And some people say, well, I, I can't do that, but you can do something. You can be a greeter. You can be an usher. You can fold something, send something, call someone. You can just show up early and start loving on people, man. Here's the last one is that the committed admit when they're wrong. The committed admit when they're wrong. Many relationships struggle because people refuse to repent and admit that they were wrong and need to change. I've known many people like this in my life, man. They, they refuse to even apologize to their spouse or their friends. There's some people that I know, even in this church, that I've never heard the words, I apologize, out of their mouth. I've never heard them say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. What, what, what these people do is they, they, they treat you poorly and then they change their behavior and then figure like, well, I've changed my behavior, that's my apology. And, and then the problem is the cycle returns and then you just end up hurting you again. Uh, and it's pride. It's pride that keeps somebody from saying, you know what, man, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I was wrong. I, I shouldn't have done that. Or, hey, I let you down. Like, we need to talk about this. Then Saul said, verse 21, I have sinned. Come back to me, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool King James says, played the fool and have been terribly wrong. 
If you're committed, you're willing to admit that you're wrong and you know that you need to admit it. And, and here's what happens, right? I mean, you preach a sermon like this and, and it's funny, like you guys love the part where I was telling you how I failed and I was stabbing my child. And you love the part when I was talking about in the gym and how I was out of shape and some other guy was correcting me. You guys like, yeah! And then I'm like, hey, you need to admit when you're wrong. You're like, I don't know who that's for, but it's for somebody. Pray my spouse is really listening because it's not for me. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Folks, in, in my job as a pastor, I've spent a lot of time with men who have sinned and have not confessed it. And I will tell you, it eats them up. Like, like they'll talk about everything else that's going on except for what needs to be talked about because they're embarrassed and they're ashamed and they don't, they don't want to admit that they're wrong. They don't want to admit that they failed. They don't, they don't want to admit it. When you, when you admit it, when you confess it, when you speak out to God and say, do you know what? I've done this thing wrong. There's, there's a certain washing that happens. God, God receives it. Like if, it, when you speak it out and you say, literally, when you're alone with God and you say, God, forgive me of this, he will forgive you. And there's a certain power that comes when you're with one of your brothers or sisters in the Lord and, and you say, and the Bible even says, it says in, in James, it says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And, and, but when you speak it to somebody else, it's embarrassing. But, but there's a certain freedom that comes when your brother or sister in the Lord says, you know what? God loves you. God forgives you. God's going to repair you. You're going to move forward. And if you have a brother or sister in the Lord that shares those things with you, you better keep that thing in the lockbox, man. Don't even tell your spouse. You keep between them and God. Because if you go out and tell somebody what somebody else confessed to you, man, woe be to you, man. Woe be to you. You don't want to answer for that at all. The committed admit when they're wrong. If you're not a Christian this morning, you probably just need to admit that you're not a Christian. Just a moment here, I'm going to close this sermon. And I want to encourage you that if you have not admitted to Christ, I have wronged you and I need to be set free. He wants to forgive you and he wants to set you free today. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you are not a Christian this morning, I mean, a Christian, uh, becoming a Christian is the easiest thing that you'll ever do. All you have to do is admit, I have wronged you, God. Will you forgive me? And I want to live for you. The Bible calls it sin. So you say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And I declare today, I want you to make you, I want to make you my Lord. I want to, I want to live for you. And if you've never made that decision before, if you've never said, Lord, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a sinner that needs a savior. I need to be set free. If you've never made that decision before and you need to do that for the first time, we want to pray with you. I want you to raise your hand right now and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the very first time? Hand held high. There's no shame in it. Maybe this morning you just need to recommit. Say, you know what, Lord? I've known your truth. I've been far from it. And I, I've wondered how I'm going to get back to you. I'm going to come back to, to your grace. He didn't leave you. You left him. And now you need to come back. If you need to come back to the Lord today, you've been away for a really long time, and you want to recommit, 
We want to pray with you. Would you raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus once again. Hand held high. I don't know what the Lord spoke to you this morning. Maybe there's just seeds of rebellion inside of you like, man, I've been committed to you, Lord. There's areas I've been rebellious. I haven't done what you've asked me to do. Just admit it to him. Say, you know, Lord, I'm not going to let that be the, the case anymore. I'm going to follow you wholly and completely. Father, we give you our lives this morning, God. We pray that we would be Abishai's, not Abner's. Father, we pray that we would admit when we're wrong, we'd do our job, we'd stay committed. Father, we give you our lives this morning. We give you our hearts. We praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand up?